listening to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hey, all you gearheads and car fiends, welcome to Driven Radio Show, your weekly automotive happy hour. I am Brett Hatfield here with my co-host and engineer extraordinaire, Mr. Mark Groves. That's me. We are coming to you from Driven Radio Studios, which is about to be frozen solid until the spring fall. I know. We got our little uh, our little saltine, our little uh, four to six, maybe seven inches. Yeah. And then it's pretty much, you know, cleared out of the way, but we got ice coming. Well, you know, I've griped on the show too many times about how shot my (laughs) knees are, so there was no way I was going to shovel the driveway. But Oh, yeah, yeah. But three kids from down the street. America. Oh, you fools. Showed up and offered to (laughs) shovel the driveway. And first of all, what they offered to shovel the driveway for, I was thinking, are you out of your mind? I could go have a nice dinner someplace and, you know... the wife and I and go hang out. But it was, it's really, it was really heavy wet snow because yeah. it was like right at freezing the entire time it snowed and the flakes were huge. It's perfect for snowballs, crappy for sledding. Yeah. And uh, they offered to shovel the driveway and I said, okay, they showed up, had a snowblower. I didn't realize it was an electric rechargeable snowblower. Oh, what zaps oh. batteries faster than anything else? Cold? That's right, kids. <laughs> that's that snowblower. Snow? That snowblower <laughs> lasted for about a third of the driveway. Oh god. And then the oldest kid is still out there shoveling and his two buddies split. Icy they baby took, when they, it's icy. They took off and he he shoveled like one third of the driveway and I was like, "No, I'm not paying you for that i'm gonna pay you for the whole driveway expect you to shovel the whole driveway (laughs) that poor kid was out there for four freaking hours shoveling that drive heaviest snow ever i really felt bad for him but not bad enough to tell him to quit and uh he he i'll hand it to him it took him forever did he get her done he got it all done got everything finished and I paid him 20 bucks more than I told him I would. Way to stick with it. And I yeah. talked to him for a little while. He's a little gearhead. He plays Gran Turismo. He wants to come down and learn, learn about cars when the weather warms up. Really? Yep. And I told him he was absolutely wel- welcome to come down and hang out. I'd did, let him sit on or sit in everything in the garage. Did you show him the garage demor? Hey, he's seen it. Oh, he's, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's a neighbor. Okay. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. seen all that stuff. But I felt so bad for that poor kid, man. He was only, he was just barely 13 years old and just, it knocked him in the dirt. Whatever your name is, Junior, I'm glad you did it because yeah. that's, uh, that's some stick to itiveness yeah. that is nice to see. You don't see that very often. He no. stayed out there. And when I paid him, I said, who are your two buddies? He goes, those are my brothers. And I said, go home and tell your mom your brothers are sissies. Don't give them a dime of that money. <laughs> <laughs> Hold this over their heads yeah, they for the rest of their lives. Hey, you remember when <laughs> they split and he had to stay here? You should have seen him, man. He was worn out by oh, the time God, he got yeah. done. He looked like he'd put in a for real day <laughs> <laughs> out there. <laughs> and plus, you don't park your vehicles in the driveway, so there was no, you know, car-shaped hole. I, I had Jaden's crappy oh, Lumina oh. in the driveway, but that didn't, you know, that's, that's a long that's driveway. A it was three cars Yeah, long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that poor kid. Good on you, Junior. Yeah, Good on you. He got it done, and I, I was, I was so proud of him. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I didn't give him an inch. He did the whole thing. He did the walk up to the house and everything. It was pretty cool. I hope that's the last snow we get this year. But um, fingers crossed. This weekend, Saturday. Have you seen the high Saturday? What is it? Eighteen? No. Eight? Five? Five? Oh, wow. That's five is the high. That's right there in in suck zone. Oh, you no. know, suck territory. I, I consider suck territory to be anything under fifty. If I can't, <laughs> if I can't ride Harley's without having to put on leathers, dude, stupid that's stupid season. <laughs> stupid circle around the sun bullshit. I don't you, need this. You know, I looked it up. Harley Davidson makes <laughs> snowmo- snowmobiles, or at least they used to. <laughs> nice. Uh, I won't be buying one though. Just get uh, one of those BMW GSs and put snow tires on it. Heck yeah. Have you found anything new in the car and motorcycle search? Have you have you come across anything? Not really. There's a 
Well, the, you, you know me. I The Mopar gods have cursed you. You found your yeah. old Mopar and didn't buy it back, and so they're now they're giving you the Efto. Yeah, they're like, really? We gave you this, and now you, and you're turning your back on it? No way, Groves. Uh, I, you know, I, I found some other, there, there's still a, uh, a 56 Plymouth out in uh, Colorado, that white one that we looked at. Has it been there for a long time? It's still there. Yeah. Well, if it's it has, there it, it, there's time. a chance there's, that it, it would be minimal rust. Colorado is, I mean, despite the snow, typically pretty dry climate. Well, he, he admitted that it, 80% of it's metal. Oh, well, but, uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's better than a lot of It's got of a little bit of wavy at. gravy there in the uh, rocker panels. but uh, Yeah, take you know, your magnet with you. <laughs> there was a 62 Chrysler that I talked to a fellow about a bit, uh, but I need to talk to him about. There's a dog leg that looks like something I, the kind of work I would do on bodies right oh, now, you know, God. poor. No. And, uh, <laughs> and they sprayed it. They sprayed it too. So it's the right color and everything. But it's like this, obviously, this looks like my skin when I was 12, you know, going through puberty. <laughs> what the hell? This is awful. We're going uh, to talk to a guy here in a few minutes who might be able to yeah, help you out. Who might be able to give me a little advice. Okay. Yeah. Then I'm just going to shut up about the crap I keep yeah, looking at. He's already waving you off. <laughs> he's like, dear God, what's we, wrong with this we guy? We haven't even told him you don't know how to weld yet. <laughs> oh, stop it. I keep getting shorter every time you talk. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Uh, I am looking at a little red 911 on a certain uh, online auction site, but the reason I'm looking at this really hard is because the seller lives here in town. Oh. In fact, the, the car is about five miles away. I'm going to go take a look at it tomorrow afternoon, that's hopefully. That's not on Brewer Fruiter, is yeah, it? Yeah, that's not. Is there It's on Brewer Fruiter? Yeah. Wow, but it's local. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, go hammer on the guy. Yeah, personally. it's it's a 2006 9-11, uh, really low incidence of IMS failures in those in that particular generation. Uh, it's uh, just a regular Carrera. It's not an S, so it's the three-and-a-quarter horse engine, and it's supposed to have a ro- more robust IMS bearing. However, here's the problem I'm having, and it's not necessarily the money because, you know, go out and write more articles, dummy. You can always make more money, but... <laughs> It's tough for me to consider non-GM stuff when I'm currently working as a GM historian somewhere. <laughs> just it's, don't park it in the parking lot, it, you know? It, it, Do like Ford did. It, it just it, it feels like betrayal. But then again, you drive me like, none of betrayal about this. <laughs> However, there are still a few Corvettes and Camaros out there that I haven't had in my garage. So uh, Yeah, they, one or two. Yeah, maybe. I, I need to make some uh, some uh, room, and I need to make some Gotta money. Gotta get that so, rear uh, engine. Hey, folks out there, anybody want to buy a Harley? I got some. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on down. Yeah, no Stack kidding. them deep, sell them cheap. Our special guest this week is Jason Winnig, owner and president of the Creative Workshop and executive director of Miami's Motor Car Cavalcade Concours d'Elegance. Jason was born and raised in New York. He has an undergrad degree in psychology from Syracuse University and a master's in marketing from, I'm going to take a stab at this, Baruch College, Zicklin School of Business in New York. He is a lifelong car aficionado who in 2002 purchased an historic barn in Dania Beach, Florida, that became the Creative Workshop. Creative is known for restoration and care of rare, exotic, and prototype vehicles and custom coach building. Jason is a member of the Society of Automotive Historians. Hey, one of my own. Hey. Uh, Antique Automobile Club of America, the Classic Car Club of America, the Specialty Equipment Man- Manufacturers Association, or SEMA out there for all you car nerds, and Automotive Restoration and Market Association. He has been a judge for numerous concours and car-related events over the years, including the Amelia Island Concours, the Boca Raton Concours, Lake Mirror Concours, and the Miami Concours. Jason, what an introduction, man. Wow. Welcome to Driven Radio. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And the one salient point you mentioned in that entire <laughs> diatribe was graduate of Syracuse University. And the whole beginning of the show was five degrees and freezing cold. And so... I'm sitting here, got goosebumps, just remembering my days of shipping through the side of the door to get to the keyhole to put the key in to turn the key to oh even be able to get the class. God. So yeah. that's why I moved to Florida. Living <laughs> down there in Florida, we're really, really sorry for you that you have to put up with that. <laughs> so sorry. Uh, out of curiosity, what was the high where you are today? 
well, believe it or not, you know, the world's coming to an end, global warming, whatnot, yada, yada. It's been cold. It's been 60 and rainy and dreary. So we've been suffering as Floridians as well. You mentioned you complain at 50. We complain at 70. So this is horrible. <laughs> yeah. I, I just I just complain when I can't take my toys out. You know, wintertime is harder on nobody than a guy who's got cl- classic cars or old motorcycles in the garage and you can't you can't play with your toys. So uh, but to rub it in, we average around 85. Yeah, all the time. yeah. Oh, you know, oh my bad. God. Yeah, you just, uh, <laughs> we feel horrible for you. <laughs> yeah. Who who were your early automotive influences? Uh, you know, I grew up as an absolute gearhead, and I, I, I we're going to talk, I, I imagine, about some of the things that we all love about cars, but I'm, a, I'm an off-road guy. I'm a rally guy. You know, right now, the car is really? going off, I'm a truck guy. And so my early influences was watching the Baja 1000. You know, when everyone talks about car guys used to drive pictures of cars in class, maybe some guys do pictures of girls or something like that. I do pictures of trucks driving over cactuses. And so <laughs> the thing which got my blood going was trucks. That's that's that was the influence which got me excited about vehicles. I'm seeing a lot of those videos online uh, here recently, and saw one today. It was uh, one of the pre-runner trucks. I think it was. A f- Ford uh, Raptor pre-runner, and they said, this is what a really fantastic suspension does, and the truck is just level, hauling across the desert. Meanwhile, the suspension is working its tail off, man, absorbing all those bumps and just soaking everything up while the truck just flies. And uh, Back when I started playing with trucks, articulation was like a 10 or 12 inches. These Baja trucks are 26, 28, oh, yeah. 30 inches of articulation right now. Good Lord. It is- Insane. They could drive over a car and the guy's sitting there drinking coffee. And smell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I was watching that video and I'm just thinking, wow, man, how fast, is, how far has have things come? Because the truck was, it looked stable. It just looked still. It wasn't, the body of the truck wasn't absorbing any of it. The suspension was soaking up everything. And I'll tell you, the, 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 the vehicle, like on that note, like the, that industrial type of thing that could take on anything. It was the Lamborghini LM002. Yeah, Lambo that Rambo. Was the vehicle, the Lambo Rambo Lambo. That was the vehicle that, when I first saw it, blew me away. I got that zing moment. And so you're talking about how these trucks can handle all this stuff. To me, that was the epitome of something that could do anything, take it and keep going. Yeah, and with a, a set of Pirelli Scorpions on it that you can't find anymore. Exactly right. The biggest, weirdest shaped tires I've ever seen. They're like tractor <laughs> tires shrunk down on a truck with gun turrets in the back. Like, how could you lose, right? Yeah. You, you just, you you wanted to, you wonder how many Arab sheiks they thought they could sell those to. And, <laughs> and the answer is all of them. <laughs> if they paint them gold, you know, then, then without, then without a doubt. So. What was your uh, background with collector cars prior to starting the creative workshop in Florida? And what made you decide to pursue a career in restoration and coach building? Uh, well, I was, I was the absolute ubiquitous tinkerer um, from the day I was born or the day I could walk. I would have nuts and bolts in my pocket. I think I shorted out my house probably a dozen times, set it on fire before it was 12 years old. If my parents left me at home, something would be taken apart. And so my natural affinity was towards mechanics and machinery. And then once you get one sniff of gasoline, that's it. You're done, right? You're hooked for life. And so I don't, I didn't have a traditional background, um, but I did grow up in Long Island. And ironically, um, I happened to grow up by one of the most prolific cruise trips in America at that time. And uh, it's called Deer Park Avenue, uh, Route 231. We killed ourselves to build cars, go go chase girls and try to get into race car fights, uh, you know, the drag strip fights. And and uh, it it stuck. And so I went the corporate route because a New Yorker in Long Island, born and raised Brooklyn, born and raised New York City. You go to undergrad, you go to graduate, you go into corporate America, you do the right thing, you do that stuff. And then one day I woke up and felt a little more comfortable in my skin and decided that uh, I haven't had dirty fingernails in too long. And I'm tired of suits and polished shoes and I miss my cars and I want to build something with my hands again. And that's what it was. It wasn't any particular thing. It was an evolution of my background, my past, who I was, and a little bit of anger on the path I was discontent, maybe he's better, on the path that I was on. And that 
pushed me into that arena. You know, your arc and where you came from sounds not terribly dissimilar from Mike Musto's. Have you guys ever crossed paths? Unfortunately, we haven't. Uh, I I think we kind of need to get you two and some beer in a room together. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> Done. Sold to the man with the Harley Davidson. I'm in. Yeah, there you go. Uh, how did you shift from a career in marketing to owning and running a restoration shop? Yeah. So understanding that mechanically minded, played with cars my whole life, nothing new to me. I bleed oil, just like everyone on this on this microphone right now, right? Um. I was in New York City. I was working in marketing. I was unhappy in advertising. It's a long story. We'll bar. It's just, just life, just the way corporate America works sometimes. And I was bouncing around a little bit, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And uh, friends of mine, and this is the beginning of the dot-com age, uh, and before we go one second further, everyone here needs to understand that this is not a dot-com baby talking to you right now. This is not one of these guys that started a company, sold out because I had a dot-com after some weird name. And I got $100 million and I went, you know, our company did not make it. I was during the beginning of the dot-com age. I was working in Silicon Alley. I got recruited by friends who knew I was a car head and knew I was a marketing guy. And they said, we are starting something to sell car parts online. Would you like to help us? And I said, well, I know a lot about cars. I know a little bit about marketing enough to get me in trouble. I graduate degree in a couple of years in big advertising agency. I could probably blow up anything at that point. <laughs> and um, we literally you know, created platforms by which warehouses were able to sell parts directly to consumers. And back then, you know, nowadays you can buy a shopping cart, you can buy credit card processing for free, download it from Two Cows, download it from CNET. They didn't exist back then. You know, they, we were in the days where it was, it's hard to even imagine, but the big companies, their statements were, we don't know what this internet.com thing is. We're not spending any money until we, until it's proven that it actually is real. Yeah. And, Nimble little companies were literally designing this. It was Cold Fusion. It was Cold Fusion program that was able to connect directly to a warehouse's inventory and sell it to a consumer. If they believed that they put their credit card into this machine, something would come in the mail. It's literally that raw. Uh, long, long story short, quickly, we got it up and running. We sponsored top fuel dragster teams. We sponsored top alcohol teams. Don Lampish Jr. was one of our guys, still a good friend of mine. Um, oh, oh my goodness, it'll come to me in a second, who's, who still does uh, truck, um, Bruno Mossel, who does truck TV, is still a friend of mine. He was one of our guys as well. And um, we had some fun for about a year or so, and we did not get funding. We had some funding enough to build it, but we did not get funding to go to the next level. And um, a, a couple of things converged. Uh, the real true love of the automobile, the first time working professionally in the automo automobile field, and the confidence to do something wacky, because I'll tell you, Silicon Alley and the dot-com world back in New York City in those days was wacky. And so that that autonomy and that entrepreneurialism stuck. And that was the trigger point, which got me into the next phase, which was Creative Workshop. Tell us about the Creative Workshop. What services do you offer? What do you work on? Uh, just give us a, a bird's eye view. Yeah. So... Besides the remarkable housing that we're in, which is about a hundred year now old barn, with Dade County wood floor floors, which I never knew what that was as a New Yorker, but it's this old growth pine that you can't hammer a nail into. You have yeah. to drill holes into it. It's remarkable, right? And so we have this old barn and me and my wife, we flew down from New York. We got into a rental car. We drove about 1,300 miles from Florida. visited all these sites. We found this old barn. And the old barn was operating as a car place for a while, but it was basically defunct. There were, if you guys remember uh, uh, Sanford and Son? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. You remember what the, the, the okay. Sanford and Son made our place look like the Ritz-Carlton. Okay. <laughs> oh, and so, God. you know, you're in trouble when you open the door, you walk inside, and there's a rat bigger than a cat, and it does not run away. It just looks at <laughs> you and says, what are you doing here? And I'm not kidding you. Like, that's, that's what we were dealing with. And so, but we fell in love with the place. And there was one guy there who was a very talented craftsman. He's still with me to this day, 22 years later. And so I sat with him. It wasn't his business. The guy who was selling the business was an old crabby son of a bitch. Okay. And <laughs> I could tell you stories for a whole mother show. You couldn't get into a match. You couldn't, it was a man ridiculous. in Florida <laughs> uh, who, who drank a lot, was angry at the world and took it out on everyone around them. And I walked nice. into this dumb young kid, innocent saying, hi, let's go start a car business. And that was the end of that. Um, 
I was smart enough to listen. And so I came down with all these brand ideas. I wrote a business plan. I knew I wanted to do a couple of things. But Mike said, listen, we built spectacular cars and I'd like to continue building spectacular cars. And um, what do you say about that? I said, well, let's see what we can do. And I watched. And he, one, one employee, started to explain and show me what the Concord world is all about. What I wanted to do was basically now called uh, uh, Restomont. Back then, there was no such thing. I wanted to take great classic cars and put modern components in there so people who were not car people could enjoy the style of an old car, but could mechanically use them. And uh, I fell in love with the concept of forensic restoration. And that's, and um, I cut my teeth every single day for years learning the trade, learning how to do it, learning the research. I mean, we started with thermal facsimiles. Like, you know, this is a day where if I had to get a part, I would write it out and put it through the fax machine to get to a supplier. Now I'm using Google Translate. I work with suppliers in seven different languages. And so it's, it's remarkable when I think back to how I got into this field and why, who am I to deserve to play with some of these cars? And then there are moments when I think back, like, man, I, I took a hammer and I hit that wall a lot of times. I bet. I bet. Many shops specialize in a single mark or a specific type of car, but the Creative Workshop seems to work on a bit of everything, including full custom builds. Is it difficult to work on so many different cars and different kinds of cars? It is, um, but it's interesting, and maybe this is my father looking down and, and laughing, and that is, I, 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 I don't like taking the easy way. I, I love cars, and I don't have, I'd rather have, I, I am so excited. We have a DKW coming in, and what my manager said, mm-hmm. someone called over the DKW, and I'm like, you're telling me a three-cylinder, two-stroke, two-stroke DKW is coming in? Like, I don't know how many people could immediately reference that DKW is a three-cylinder <laughs> two-stroke, and I'm a geek, and I love this stuff. And so if I specialized in a mark, I wouldn't have had that moment, right? And so, and so I'd rather have great cars that people love, that are part of the family, that they want to show off, that not in a show-off way, but like in a pride sort of way, that they want to learn about the car, that I can learn about the history of the car. And then from a mechanical perspective, when you play with all these marks, all these errors, all, these, all of these um, nationalities, uh, you learn so much about cars how Germans did it, how, how Brits do it, how French do it, from coach building, how the welds were done, the different fasteners that they use. Like you have to be real deep and really nerdy to love this stuff. But if you do and you specialize in one mark, yes, you could become a, an, an uber expert in that mark. But if you're tenacious and you're passionate, I'm, we, you become an expert in whatever car comes to you. And so I'm, I'm very proud of that. And I'm very proud of the 20 years that we have worked on you know, everything from 1905 to, you know, we're getting older now. So I'm actually seeing some 1990s coming now, which is the hottest thing right now. Uh, and nearly every mark on the planet Earth has been through our facility in some way, shape, or form at this point. And so it's really cool. Now, the DKW, I just had to look that up real quick. Yeah, you did. Those are adorable. Uh, yeah. Which which one did you look at? Was it would it happen to have been the one thousand? Because I looked at that and I'm like, oh my god, that's a oh what was his name? Uh, uh, the mouse that was uh, D- Danger Mouse, wasn't that his car? <laughs> <laughs> These things are freaking cool. Which one did which one did you have? No, the one that's coming in is a is a Mundo, a, a DKW. It's not that one thousand SP. It's a Mundo, so it's a um, it's a it's a, a a similarly quirky. They all all these cars that these guys made were absolutely. Oh yeah, that's the good, and it's got fins like a. It's a uh, the back looks like about a, a 58, 50, well not fifty nine. It would have been about a sixty sixty one uh, rear end like on a Ford. Or a 50, I'm an unabashed ass man. I love the asses on cars. I love the fins. <laughs> I, love, I love the way those backs on cars look. I'm a sucker for them. So. I, I like big butts, and I cannot lie. So yeah, I'm down with Do that. you need a minute? That is so cool. <laughs> I'll go look at this. You keep talking. I'm going to look at more DKWs. What are some of the more interesting or valuable cars you've worked on? So because, I guess, of our tenacity and the fact that we really don't give up and we never sweep anything under the carpet and we obsess over the details. We've attracted a lot of big collectors and a lot of big cars. And and we've been to Pebble Beach and taken some awards there and and lots of Amelia Island and Middle Million, all the big events and whatnot. And so... Um, we have had our share of Ferrari and 
we have we've we've had a run of Aspen Martins and and all sorts of really cool stuff. But they're probably one of the more special vehicles, and and there's a lot of reasons why. It was probably one of the first truly mag, uh, mag- magnitude cars that was entrusted to us. It brought us all the way to Pebble Beach. It was the first time I'd gone to Pebble Beach, which is very exciting. And um, uh, I was really young. It was very early in my career, and I felt very honored and privileged to be a really, really young restorer that made it to Pebble Beach. And it was a Stangolini Bailbera. Uh The Stangolini is um, there. It's is a one-off. Um, it, it was owned by Briggs Cunningham. It was sold to Carl Keycoffer of Mercury Outboard fame. Uh, Carl uh, uh, Briggs blew up the engine. And sold it to Carl, and Carl bought, bought it, and uh, put a Mercury outboard motor in, it. and because he was the founder of Mercury outboard motor, <laughs> and effectively started the H modified racing class, believe it or not, with that car, and broke land speed records with it. And so the historical provenance, the rarity of the car, the peculiar nature of this vehicle, the small little they call them, you know, Cetarini is the term you use for these small Italian mm-hmm. jewels, they call them, um, was extraordinary and wonderful, and kind of in conclusion, sort of, when I eventually made it to Italy and eventually made it to the Stangolini factory and eventually met the Stangolini family and showed them pictures of the car that their family built back in 1951 and how we restored it in front of the Pebble Beach. I'm getting goosebumps right now. The full circle was there. And so um, I don't even know what the value of it is. I mean, you know, small bore engine cars always kind of cap out in the several hundred thousand mark as opposed to the several million mark. But to me, value is, you know, money is... Money comes and goes, but the the, the 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 beauty of that car, soulful, beautiful of that car, will always etch is probably one of my favorites. You know, just looking at the cover photo on your website for the shop, uh, you got a split window Corvette, a Porsche 930, a yellow Daytona Coupe, uh, what looks to be a, a 400 or a 412i. There's a couple of uh, Aston Martins around DB5, DB4, DB5, DB6. Uh, there's a Supra in the back. You've got a lot of cool stuff in your shop. It looks like you do get to work on a lot of fun cars. You nailed it. You got the 400 right. And, uh, that was a particularly lovely shot. We were prepping to bring a bunch of cars to an event. And so we had sort of like an alumni meeting of some, some, some wonderful past full restorations of award-winning cars all confirmed on the shop at once. And I was in ecstasy. And yeah, it, when you see that and you realize that, you know, running a business is tough. And you were talking about shoveling snow and kids and how people work nowadays. And I yeah. employ craftsmen who are smart and creative and emotional and maybe even today nowadays a little bit spoiled. And that's kind of the nature where we're going through now and have to control all these remarkable people at the same time. Uh, it can be tough. Well, there I- are moments you walk into that facility and you see all these incredible cars and you realize that we've been entrusted with them and it and it, it again, it, it puts it in perspective really quickly. Well, I I have a a father who owned a lumberyard to thank for my work ethic, that in the Navy. So the the way I see work is usually a little different than the way most people do. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I just I love that work ethic. I love to see somebody really working hard at what they're doing, and it just it there's there's something infectious about it. I just I love to see people doing that. Do you have a particular brand or model or car that you've worked on? What's near and dear to your heart? What do you have a favorite or do you just love it all? So this is this is a great question. You can imagine I've been asked that question before and I've been trying to figure out the best way of answering it. Right. So first of all, I started a list which is on my desk in my office at, at the workshop um, a couple of years ago. And whenever I remind myself of a car that makes me go zing, I put it on that list. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, I treat cars like women usually treat shoes. I can have a car for every occasion. If us three guys are gonna be heading up to Vegas, you know what we're in. We're in a Lincoln, egg crate grill, suicide mm-hmm. door, bottle of ether in the back, Jack Kerouac, you know, book in someone's lap, and off we go, <laughs> right? But, so I need, a, I need a sports car, I need a, so of course an LM002 is on the top of that list, and I got a lot of other wacky shit on there, right? But the, the comedy of this is that for a guy like myself who has been in most cars and has had the privilege of driving most cars, he could theoretically, except in the pocketbook, have access to any car on the planet Earth. I'm a truck guy and I'm a Land Rover guy. And so I have four Land Rovers. I'm wearing Land Rover shorts right now. <laughs> I, I 
spend my weekends when I can, when I'm not with my kids in sports or on a long weekend getting ready for a big event that I'm working on right now. I zen by opening my garage, getting a cup of coffee, working on my Land Rovers. I'm a Land Rover guy. Nice. I can't say that I blame you there. I skew a little differently on that. Uh, I'm a big, big body Bronco guy. I, I learned how to drive on a three on the tree, 68 Bronco. There you go. Nice. There you go. Uh, I, I love old Broncos. I, uh, I had a 1990 that I sold a few years ago and after it was gone about a year, I started thinking, why the hell did I sell that thing? And I tracked it down last did year. Did OJ Simpson on it? Did you sell it to OJ? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, this was uh, black and gray. 1990 was a brick nose. Had uh, four-inch lifts and big wheels and tires on it. But it was just the cleanest uh, brick nose Bronco you've ever seen in your life. It, it was really was. Just when I first spotless. met you, that the first time uh, we ever stepped outside into a parking lot, it was there at the radio stations, and that was parked out there. Yeah, and like that, that thing got that attention thing everywhere. Oh yeah, and I sold it a few years ago because I thought that it was time, and then I started thinking, why'd you sell that? You should have never done that. And I looked the guy up. I found the truck. I offered to give him ten grand more than I sold it for, and he invited me to piss off. <laughs> he uh you know he didn't want to let it go yeah being in my facility in the position that i'm in i hate to tell you but you could you could you could imagine how many sellers remorse stories i have heard oh yeah Not the sellers remorse stories but the one where i sold it for twenty seven thousand dollars and i made a killing and by the way that thing's worth now 1.2 yeah oh. yeah so well, these, this is normal for me so i feel terrible but uh yeah it's it's one of those i uh i bought it it had 30,000 miles on it. I drove it for five years. I put another 30,000 miles on it, and I sold it for significantly more than I had in it. And that's why I thought it was time to let it go. And it's not that I want it back for the value. I just miss my damn truck. I yeah. like my truck, and I found it, and I offered to buy it back. I offered to give the guy 10 grand more. He said, nah, go away. <laughs> so that's kind I'm of the way. I love that, affair with another truck. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I've. You know, I for a long time, I said I wasn't a Ford truck guy, and then it dawned on me. I've had seven of them in a row, so maybe I am. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. maybe it looks I like am. a duck. It smells like a duck. You know, it's yeah. like a duck. Right? <laughs> I, I, I just bought another super low F-150, uh, super low mile uh, F-150 here not long ago, and it's absolutely like it's 21 years old, and it's mint. It's got 14,000 miles on it. And wow. it, it's just gorgeous, and I love it. I wouldn't want to get rid of it, but I do miss my Bronco. Uh, the Creative Shop has been featured in a myriad of publications and TV shows. You've just been in everything. What has drawn so many media outlets to you, and what are some that we might recognize? Where can we find you? Sure. Well, that's a, it's a hard question to answer. I, I guess it might actually tie back into a little bit of what we spoke about before, and that is because we tend to attract peculiar cars, tough cars, cars that the half year, the one where everything is different than every other model around it, the one-offs, the three-offs, the prototype cars, the, the, the ones with names that most people don't even recognize, you know, um, when we, and because we build beautiful cars, really exacting cars, when we show up at a show field, it tends to suck the oxygen around the area. And so it does attract people that are interested in history of cars. And so, uh, I, I, I don't know if it's, I've been fortunate or I'm just honored, but yeah, we actually have had a lot of media coverage on a lot of the cars we built and, uh, it's been fun. It's been fun. And a lot of it, you know, part of it is I'm honored because I love the fact that, uh, our work is being acknowledged, but there's also an element of of our clients, you know, they spend a lot of money on these cars. They love their cars. We do screen. We want to make sure our clients, you know, we don't build cars for clients that want to sell their cars. And so, and so when their car is acknowledged in print and it's tangible, um, there's a certain glow. And, um, and so, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful circle. And so again, I, I think probably I would, I would end just by saying it's, it's been an honor to be covered as much as we have with the, with the work that we've done. Well, and to the, to that end, you had a Motor Trend crew there embedded in your shop uh, following a build. Can you talk about uh, the car they were following and where uh, it wound up being? Where was it on TV or online? Yeah. 
it, it was actually it's actually a, it's a it's a great story. It's a great story. Not that it's such a magnificent story, but it's like a it's a really wonderful story. And that is, I was approached at about the time when a lot of these TV shows were happening, and I was extremely concerned about being portrayed the wrong way. And when the producer called me up, I point blank said to the person because I had no really desire to be on TV. It wasn't anything I was looking for. And I said, guys, I'm 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 interested, and I don't mind doing it. But if anybody ever asks me to do it again, or if anyone ever asks me to to um, stage something, the, the bet's off. I'm not doing it like that. So either you guys embed and watch and see how the real guys do it, because I'm watching stuff like that. I'd imagine it's the same thing as being a doctor and watching like some medical show. You're like, well, the guy's got a pipe wrench. Like, we don't use that in a, in a medical, <laughs> right? And so, you know, the producer actually, uh, really the showrunner, Jerry, still a friend of mine, such a great guy. He said, well, you know, I'm coming off of a show where everything is staged. I'm not going to tell you what show it is, but it's horrific. Mm-hmm. And it was on for a long time. Yeah, and he we, said it was horrible. So it was we, horrible. We got to get this car done in a week or we're going to lose the shop. Yeah. <laughs> and to the point where they were actually manipulating situations so that when someone came in, they would move a tool, they would move a, a part so that the part would get lost, so that there would be drama. Where is the part? Oh, my God, don't you have a deadline? Oh, and he said, I'm sick of it. So if you guys are capable of delivering straight reality, real reality, I want to capture them. And mm-hmm. we sat and we chatted. And I guess something about the way we work, my personality, how I'm able to kind of carry that along, um, because I, I, I don't mind talking. I have good knowledge about these things. He saw it. And the crew moved in. And they mic'd me up in the morning and mic'd some of my key staff up in the morning and we went. And yeah, reality TV shouldn't require a script. And we were never once scripted. The funniest thing is, is that when we had to finally put together the intro to the show where like, you know, you see like everyone standing there like this. It was the only time that they actually told me I had to say something. It took like 30 takes, but I actually had to repeat like seven <laughs> words in a row. Like, I, guys, you know me, I can't read and script. Just if you just tell me, just tell who you are and introduce the show, I'd be fine. But they had to hit certain points at a certain time. It was a disaster. <laughs> no, that's not but how I were, work. What they, were, what they were capturing was us restoring, forensically restoring. Yeah. Last 1921 Kissel Goldbug on the planet Earth. Ooh. And um, these cars. They, they only made a handful of those to start with. It was an extremely rare car. They only built it for a couple of years, and they only built the Series 1, the, the early variant from 1919 to 21. And there's only six or four of the entire lot left on the planet Earth. There's only 30 Kissels left of, of the thousands they built on the planet Earth. Yeah, oh, wow. After, after 21, they changed them a little bit. And so what we have is a unique vehicle. And um, it was... And I'm an antique car lover. I mean, I just love it when you can literally see how men were. And, and I, I would love to say women, but I don't think women were really involved in cars back then. Maybe they were secretly. Uh, they they are more so now. If you go see the kids who are working at McPherson College, it's guys and girls both. And now, I mean, yeah, I'm a huge supporter of the RPM Foundation. We can talk about this for hours. I, 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 hired, I have two women working for me right now. So they're they're fantastic. I'm talking about, I'll say, back when men were building cars yeah. without computers and figuring out. And I, I, I just hate to have to say that, but that's true. It's just factual. So, but this car was, it's probably my biggest love affair because it's an antique car, which I love the owner. His father was a Kissel collector. He met his, his great, his grandfather was a Kissel collector who met his grandmother in a Kissel courted, had his father, had him with the Kissels in the family. And his father passed away, one of these very typical stories, and the car was being restored in honor of him. And, you know, we're on the field of Pebble Beach, and we're hugging and crying when the award comes in. And it was um, it was just a wonderful, wonderful situation. A gorgeous car, traced to real provenance. An actress originally purchased the car, which is very typical of that car. All famous people own those cars. This is considered one of the top 100 sports cars of all time. And every celebrity you can imagine, Fats, Domino, and all these people had these things. And um, to be at Pebble, to be filmed watching it, to – and if you've ever done this before, I always warn all my clients that, you know, the honor is first getting in, and then the honor is praying to God that the restoration shop can deliver a car on the field in time. Yeah. And then 
but don't ever expect an award. And when you're at Pebble Beach, you never expect an award. And I really, in my heart, believe that. And when we showed up on the field and all these cars are lined up next to us, we were next to monsters. And I took, and I, and I took our client aside and I said, I want you to understand that this is a really wonderful moment. I am so happy for all of us that this car is here and your entire family, extended families here, but we're not winning an award. And I pointed as we casually walked down the line, I pointed to the three cars that are going to take first, second, or third. So that's going to be first, second, or third, third, or second, but that's going to be it. So just enjoy the day. And when um, the judges came up and put a blue ribbon on our car, it was like a nuclear bomb went off. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. You know, it's kind of wild looking at the pictures of this because if you look at the car by itself with no one in it, you're like, oh, that's cool. That's kind of like a, a model a Model A or is it the Model T, but except it's been chopped. So you've got that little windshield in the front and this yellow one just gorgeous. And then you see somebody in it and you're like, holy cow, that's a big vehicle. Yeah, they're not small. No, it's huge. <laughs> and the one that you worked on, did it have the little slide out jumper seat? The in-law seats, all hail the in-law seats. It's the greatest thing of all. That is insane. I'm looking at them like, what the hell? Really? You know, it wasn't bad enough that you had, you know, a a seat in the back in some of those old cars. Uh, What's it? Jump seat uh, where you could jump in and die easily. Yeah. But this one, you're like, (laughs) oh, what was that movie with the little girl that stuck her head out and got whacked off? Uh, by a telephone pole. Of course, this is go like there. that movie, and I'm just like, oh my god, it's, it's the worst bus seat on the planet, uh, and I love it. I love it. It's fantastic, and it's a pull-out drawer. What's crazy about the seat is that in the industry we refer to it as an in-law seat, where the in-law would have to sit. Right? <laughs> we actually were on a field with that car, and Jay Leno came up and said, you know, my history says that it's not called an in-law seat; it's called the chastity seat. <laughs> when you went on a date with your girlfriend the mother-in-law would sit in that seat to make sure no hanky panky went on and i don't know if he was joking or if he was serious i've never particularly seen reference to this but i freaking love it in-law chastity <laughs> but it is you think it's a pocket door that comes out and someone you don't want to be with you is in that seat no That's knowing awesome. jay and how serious he is about this i'm guessing he wasn't joking I agree. And that's not to say that I know Jay Leno except from afar, but you know how how seriously he takes all his car stuff. I I doubt he was kidding about it. Yeah, I agree. He he does know his stuff rather well. So, can you talk a little bit about being named one of the top 20 auto restorers by Sports Car Market magazine, a magazine that is near and dear to us both? <laughs> And I, I own the stock. I'm promoting the stock, but I have to disclaim that I also own the stock. Right? That's, <laughs> yeah, I've worked very, I've worked very hard over the years. There's been a lot of ups and downs, and some pretty dramatic kicks in the balls. And um, uh, I've had to pick myself up by the bootstraps. I've had to toughen my skin. I am more artist and scientist than businessman. And when things don't go right, I do take it very personally. And to be acknowledged by a magazine that is very well respected, that I very much love, that I read, that I respect, and I've been a part of for, for many, many years in various ways, to acknowledge or tip their hat towards my way was was one of those special moments in a career that that uh, like the pebble win and like the like 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 the top twenty, it's it's these are special moments that when uh, you're getting older now and you look back on a career, uh, it it creates a warm glow where there could have been some rough edges. Yeah. There are uh, there's a list of awards and accolades that the Creative Workshop has received that we could talk about for an, an entire separate show. Uh, but I'll add in one more. The Master Craftsman Award from America's Automotive Trust. Uh, that's got to be one that you just spent the afternoon breaking your arm, patting yourself on the back after you got that. We touched upon this before. There's a bit more to it than just the the, the sound of it, master craftsman, right? Because I, it's hard to claim that I'm a master craftsman. I might be good at certain things, but I take the words master craftsman quite seriously. But the way that award really defines itself and the reason why I was awarded it is because of what I've done with the RPN Foundation. And so for many, many years, I have been a supporter uh, in many, many ways, uh, and consultant to uh, America's Automotive Trust and their entity, RPM, which basically creates curriculum, provides sponsorships, and all sorts of various things to create lubricity between 
young people and careers in our field. Uh, here a while back, we had Nick from RPM on. And uh, that's a that was a pretty cool interview, pretty fascinating what they do, and uh, very admirable. Excellent. Nick is a friend. I actually started with RPM before Nick, with Diane Fitzgerald, his predecessor. And um, uh, I've just had a wonderful relationship with both of them and with Nick as well. And um, it's, you know, it's practical and it's also part of me. You know, my, my, my parents with their professions always gave back with teaching, writing books, whatnot. So it's kind of maybe near and dear to my heart, uh, but it's practical as well. And when you're on the front lines and you're trying to find skilled craftsmen in today's day and age, and there's no one who knows how to work on hardware anymore. Yeah. Uh, that's how I actually got involved with this. Diane wrote a letter, a Mac, a bass letter, a, a cattle call. And I looked at it and said, well, this is one way I can fix this problem. It might take five years to get kids into the system, but if I don't start now, like, yeah. you know, it's like the classic thing. It's like, don't complain, do. And so instead of just like, oh, no one wants to work anymore. I can't hire anybody. I'm, I do. And so, I don't know how to do. And there was a letter saying, this is how you might be able to do. And I went all in. And nice. 10 years later, I'm awarded with this wonderful recognition that I put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into trying to. I mean, two summers ago, we were writing curriculum for the Chamber of, um, for the Library of Commerce to try to become, to try to get the restoration field. Believe it or not, the restoration field is, is part of the mechanic repair world. They don't see a difference. Like the, the sick code, is the same code. So you could be working on a 2007 Toyota or in a dealership with a computer and the craftsmen that know how to solder pop metal and hammer out aluminum on an English wheel, they're all considered the same. That's insane. And so we were writing the, the, the doctrine by which the government would separate out those two fields and treat us as who we are as craftsmen and treat them as what they are, which is mechanics, which is perfectly fine. And so there are so many stories like that that we've been fighting on the front lines for and still are. Someplace else that you and I uh, kind of crossed paths and just recently because Bill Hall contacted me and said, hey, will you write something? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> is the Motor Car Cavalcade Concord d'Elegance in Miami. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the motor car cavalcade. When and how did it start? Whose idea or whose baby was this? And who is involved now? Great. By the way, you know all the great people, right? So this is, this is fantastic. <laughs> I, I absolutely blame uh, Keith Martin and Jeff Sabatini. Uh, you know, working for Sports Car Market is less about getting paid to write and more about all of these fantastic connections that I've been able to make over the last seven years and I, or eight years, God. And uh, I just, I'm so grateful to both of them. At least, uh, you know, four or five times a year, I have to send Keith a note and say, hey, thank you for letting me do this. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. The car world does, uh, does have a way of bringing some pretty cool people together, right? It does. So motor car cavalcade. So uh, it, I had I had absolutely no intention or, or desire. I didn't all wake up in the morning and say, I know what my new career is going to be or I know what I want to do or I know what my future is going to be. Um, but having gone to quite a few concourse events over the years um, and chaperoning a lot of clients there, and in some ways, in many ways, educating clients about that. Okay, what do I do with my car now that it's done? I'm like, let me introduce you to this world, right? Yeah. And so matching personalities of the client of the car to the car show is an important part of what I did. You don't want to have this type of car on that type of event, but they're not going to appreciate it as much and so on and so forth. And so one thing I picked up on over the years, and it's sort of like, you know, like a typical, like a bell curve type of thing, or more like a, like a, a parabolic curve, so to speak. You hear glimmers of it a couple of years ago, and you hear more of it and it kind of grows. And that is, and I'm being blunt and I'm being broad. So please, you know, I, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but, I'm getting tired of the concourse scene. My wife doesn't want to go. I get asked to go to 12 events a year, and I could, you know, how many honeydews can I ask? And I get there, and my wife complains, or she has nothing to do, and I, and I'm sitting there worrying about getting judged. And she's like, "I'll see you at two o'clock when I find out if you won an award. But if you didn't win an award, you're gonna be miserable. I'll be at the hotel. If you won an award, <laughs> I'll come down and say hello." And this is real. This is frontline stuff, right? And so, and so, I realized that there was something wrong. Right. And so and, and then on top of that, which is which is an ironic thing, and that is everybody everywhere was starting a concourse. And, and even if the thing was on the concrete, 
They called it a concord. So yeah. it's the proliferation of these words everywhere. It's the complete bastardization of the true sense of what a concord d'elegance is supposed to be. It's the exhaustion. It started to grow. The, the, this, this sense of why am I going to yet another one? And I'm bored when I go there, or worse, I kind of like going there, but my wife doesn't like going there, and I really want my wife with me on these things, and I can't get her excited about this. I don't know why. Put a pin in that. So about three and a half years ago, a friend of mine uh, in the car world who runs all these crazy car events down here in South Florida, totally different world, supercar stuff. So he's one of these guys it's called Supercar Saturdays, and it's incredible. He's the Pied Piper of cars. He raises, he's an ex-football player from Miami Dolphins. Great, great guy. Everyone loves him. And he raises his hand and 300 Lamborghinis and Ferraris and Bugatti show up, all 2020 up. And um, it's insane. But he is very good friends with uh, the patriarch of a very large dealership group down here, Warren Zinn, who owns Warren Hemi Auto Group. And I get a call one day and says, can you meet me down at their offices? Go down and meet. And I meet Warren for the first time. And I don't particularly have any affiliation with dealerships and, and truth be told is I kind of frowned upon them. They're car salesmen. I have nothing to do with them. They're modern car people. And I meet this gentleman who's getting on with his years and basically said, um, this community has been incredible to me. I love classic cars. I want to do something to give back. I said, cool. And he said, Floyd tells me, you might know something about this. What would you do about it? And that's how it started. And what I came back to him with couple of days later, he actually came to my facility this time. He wanted to take a tour of the great old barn. And we sat down and we chatted for about three hours. And I explained to him a lot of the little tidbits of what I just spoke about right now, what I'm seeing, what I'm witnessing, what my gut's telling me, what my clients are telling me. And if we're going to do something, we have to do something different. We can't just come out with another Concord d'Elegance that's going to say, we're going to have the best cars with the best judges, give out the best awards. Repeat, repeat, repeat. And he said, okay, I get it. And I kind of spelled out what I felt could work. And he said, great, go for it. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. This is a concord. This is expensive. There is a lot of money that has to be spent. You will not make money. This is a fool's errand. There are concords <laughs> everywhere. And even though this is a really cool idea, I think, like, you're betting on me to come up with this. Uh, he goes, yeah, no, I'm good. How much do you need? And I gave him a number. I said, this is traditional to get a concord up and running. And it's a big number. He said, go, go, go. We're on year three. Wow. And, uh, and um, uh, this year is shaping up to be bigger and brighter and better than year two. We love <laughs> year, one is, yeah, year one is what the hell just happened? A normal <laughs> year, right? And then you lay flat on a bed for like three weeks. So what? year two is yeah. for a real year. And if we can repeat, which it seems like we can, we're going to have a blast. Were you standing there thinking, what the hell did I just talk my way into? Oh, my God. <laughs> I wouldn't even say you know, be careful what you ask for, but I didn't really even ask for it. Right. But what you just said is more accurate. It's, it's, I'm not an event person. I didn't really ask for this. I didn't have aspirations to do this. And it is the most insane, toughest job. Oh, yeah. you, think, you think rebuilding a carburetor on a 1930 updraft peerless is tough. Wait until you're trying to keep 200 entrants happy. No. In oh, God. No. 37 no. vendors, 14 tents, a hotel that doesn't give an F about anything. The weather <laughs> gods, whether or not the printing came upside down or not, the, the, the database which controls the entrance and how many tickets they bought and what classes they're going into and organize. It is absolutely nuts. I'm guessing for each one of the cars entered because – None of them are run of the mill. Every one of them special. Every one of them is probably the finest example of that you can find. And everyone who owns it knows that. And they all want to be treated with kid gloves because of it. It's remarkable you should say that because one of the one of the really challenging things we've taken on, and it's by need, because the dealership sells, and this is kind of part of the original conversation with Warren, because the dealership sells modern cars, but a Concours has classic cars, and the world is getting older, and the mid-year classics are becoming hot, 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 80s and 90s cars, rally B cars, oh my God, right? You know, um, We were required, right? Not that anyone demanded it, but it was kind of like that, well, we're going to represent 
all cars. And I was like, well, Lauren, Concours don't work like that. You can't have a 2024 or 20 back then 22 next to a 1912, right? And he goes, well, can you try to figure that out? And so, no. Yeah, and you know, right? right? And, you're the and, and you, and you know, it's not even the fact that it has to be the best car and the pride that the pride is a gentle word that comes with that. But modern car people don't play well with classic car people, no. nor do classic car people play well with modern car people. And so we have to educate and figure out how to get everyone to play nice in the sandbox. Uh, and the challenges are remarkable. I can't even open uh, bar. <laughs> open bar. <laughs> Pardon me. Sorry about that. That's how you keep your wife there. Yeah. Is open bar. Open bar. I, I so we have cars from 1906. This year we have the earliest car that's going to be on the field is 1906, and the newest car literally just got shipped from the factory. I don't think it's even been in showroom yet. 2024 oh, wow. still has plastic on the seats. <laughs> plastic on the seats. You know, it's a McLaren Elva. I don't think these things. Uh, Unbelievable. Think cars, you know, so. It's it's been a, a f- I'm not going to use the word fun. I'm going to use it because the car guys are always watching. It's been a fun challenge, car guys. It's been a fun challenge. <laughs> well, and and you just touched on this. Uh, the the motor car cavalcade is more than just a car show because there's a lot of other stuff going on around it besides just the cars. And I tell us a little bit about all the other stuff that's happening. And uh, hopefully it's some of the stuff that keeps our spouses entertained. So we, it's, it's perfect. And it touches upon what we spoke about a moment ago. So we're going to satisfy how to combine classics and moderns together. We're going to do things differently than other concourse do. But how in the world do we get the women to want to show up? And I go back to my quail days, right? Now, quail's changed a bit. It's still a very fun event, but I remember going to quail when it was a truly small private endeavor. And when you got an acceptance to go to quail and you got one of those golden tickets, the first thing that came to your mind was, oh my God, this is is not like a real car show. It's not like you have to worry about the technical aspects of judging a car. It's a party. Yeah. And you think about what I'm going to dress. And my wife is going to be psyched because she can go shopping and she can show up and she can feel like she belongs there, right? Because no one's talking about carburetors. No one's talking about why Weber's don't like anything about 3 PSI, right? It's more about being seen, seeing and being seen than it is about the car. The car is the backdrop for a remarkable day. And maybe this is a little bit my New York City in me, but the whole people watching thing and a little bit being in the cool restaurant and the cool time is kind of the fabric of, of who I am being grown up. And our event is about fashion. Our event is about food. It's about desserts. It's about drinks. It's all included. You, you buy a ticket, you walk in the door, you eat and drink and get, you know, we call feast, fat, and flaunt. Uh, and as we say, hats are encouraged for men and for women. And so I want, when somebody gets accepted to show a car or when someone gets to buy a ticket, the first thing for them to feel is how I have felt when I've gotten the golden ticket to quail, I cannot wait to go shopping. I'm getting my best shoes on. I'm going to dress <laughs> the nines and I'm going to show off just like those cars are showing off. And we're going to paparazzi the shit out of this place. We're going to take pictures of ourselves. We're going to hashtag ourselves. We're going to ask if we can sit in the cars if we're not an entry of all these cars. And we're going to break down the barriers between old car and new car because it doesn't matter. What matters is when you walk up to that car, whether it's old, middle, new, or anything in between, does it make you go zing? And what you find is that you have modern car people, because there's no pretense, they had no idea that Lamborghinis came from the 350 and the 400. They just thought they miraculously appeared around the Countach, right? And 1920 people who never wanted to be around a, a modern car walk up to a 16-cylinder quad-turbocharged carbon fiber skin Bugatti and cannot deny that it takes your breath away. Oh, absolutely. And, and by the way, I learned how to drive in that 1980-something or other, and my son is going crazy with that 1994 Toyota Super XYZ, and now I've got something I can talk to my son about, and now I've got a relationship going on with this thing, and all of a sudden the car world becomes exciting and peaceful as one family. And that's the premise of what this event is. Okay, Jason, you're almost out of the woods here. Uh, when and where 
is the Motor Car Cavalcade Concord Elegance being held? Where can people find tickets? So we are in Florida. We're in Southeast Florida. It's in North Miami. Aventura is the actual hotel. It's at the JW Marriott Turnberry Resort and Spa. It's a very, very nice place. It's a Condé Nast world travel site. Um, and uh, it's February 4th, Sunday, February 4th. Uh, I'd like to say that that's always our date, but we have moved a little bit as we try to find our perfect spot. That's a very busy calendar. We're trying to find that perfect spot. This date seems to be really nice. It's working very well for us. February 4th at the JW Marriott Turnberry, uh, Miami Ma Miami Turnberry um, uh, in North Miami, Aventura, Florida. Tickets are on sale on our website, www.motorcarcavalcade.com. All righty. Final question, and <laughs> I didn't tell you about this one ahead of time, <laughs> and that was on purpose. <laughs> what is the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car? Oh, my. <laughs> it is amazing I'm alive, okay? The, the first thing that comes to mind when you said that, so I'll go, you know, you, the first reaction is, is as a truck guy, I would go off-roading whenever I had the opportunity. And when you're in New York, it's not like you're in Arizona or freaking Moab where like your backyard is 12,000 acres of unpure off-roading. So you'd go with what they call the high tees. And the high tees are basically this off-road area that have the big radio towers that, that, you know, connect all the wires. And I would practice jumping my Nissan 4x4 hard body over and over and over again. And in one instance, I hit it really hard. And I'm talking about air. I'm not talking about, oh, wow, full suspension drop. I mean, if I didn't get air, I'd go back and accelerate faster. There's oh, daylight under that truck. So there's daylight. <laughs> and there was one particular instance where I got air, and I got air so much that the car started to drift in midair. And <laughs> I came into a tree, and the tree took out the side of the truck. And so it didn't rip off the – well, the front fender got crumpled in. The side view mirror I still haven't found. <laughs> and it just took out basically the entire side of my truck. And I stopped and I said, oh, my God. I said, well, that that was the dumbest goddamn thing I've ever done. <laughs> when you're that close, one inch more, and in air at that speed, and you clip just inside the front headlight, right, one inch in. And if you think about the the, the physics of it, it would take the car and it would spun it. Yeah, you, you get to turn around that tree. That's your new pivot. This was before we were mandated to wear seatbelts. I was a dumbass kid. I, I, I would have, who knows what the hell would happen to me. So there's been a lot of dumb shit, but that's the first thing that popped in my mind. I remember that moment of watching the tree getting closer and being in air so you, the steering wheel is doing nothing. Yeah. And I'm just watching that tree coming closer. And these, he's taking it home. I'm like, all right, I'm done jumping. That was it. <laughs> these aren't air brakes. This doesn't work. Yeah, why? <laughs> why is this car not turning? Yeah. So I'm on the ground, jackass. I, I, I wish I could tell you you i don't know what you're talking about we're gonna leave it at that we've been speaking with jason winnig executive director of miami's motor car cavalcade concord d'elegance jason please tell us where we can find you online and on social media thank you so uh my company again which i'm very very proud of uh the creative workshop the website is the creative workshop our instagram handle is uh, uh the creative workshop and of course motor car cavalcade is motorcarcavalcade.com and instagram motorcar cavalcade and so we post we have great portfolios of cars, and so I welcome everybody to enjoy our our world. Jason, thank you so much for being with us, and uh, I promise you, you and I have crossed paths before someplace. <laughs> I just can't remember where. <laughs> I can't wait to cross paths again. Appreciate it. Bro. It's great talking to you. Thank you for being on. So that was a really fun conversation. It's great to get somebody on who just has that depth of knowledge and skill and passion and is so involved in everything. But I'm telling you, I have I have run into him someplace before. I cannot remember where. And a while back, I started adding up all the cars that I've reviewed, all the auctions that I've been to and everything else. Yeah. It's a wonder I remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think if my count is correct, I could be wrong, off on this, but I don't think I am. I think if my count is correct, I've reviewed 1,700 cars for sports car oh market. Oh, my God. And then I've got the the 600-plus articles for Motrolux, for GM Authority and Ford Authority and everybody. Um, it, I, I could swear I have run into him someplace before. 
that I cannot remember where. It'll come to you about 2 a.m. tonight. I'll expect you to Yeah, I'll jump out of bed and smack my head on something. Oh, yeah, Mark, I remember. Jesus Christ, why are you calling me right now? But at any rate, Jason, thank you so very much for being on. Um, And it wouldn't, you know, he's contributed a bunch to sports car market. He's been uh, a, a guest contributor there, and they've also featured him in several articles. So would it be that big a surprise that I'd run into him? I don't think so. Not really. Seems to be in your circles. Not really. And yeah, we, we seem to know a lot of the, uh, the same people and have been around You're a lot of the same You're in the dark cars. part of the Venn diagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Jason, thank you so very much. And always fun to have somebody on with that depth of knowledge. And he just seems to be passionate about all of it. Yeah. And he has also jumped a truck into a tree, which is interesting. <laughs> what an epitaph. Wow. Man, you're so lucky to be here. I had a, my, my first brand new vehicle was a 1987 Toyota or 1987 Nissan. Uh, that was the, the first year of the hard body. They, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess 86 and a half. Yeah. Yeah. They started putting them out, but mine was the first full blown it. Uh, in 87 with its little shiny wheels and its little five speed. And uh, I love that truck. I radically uh, re-engineered the uh, front suspension. Didn't you use the back of another car to do that? Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I radically redesigned theirs too. So, ah. Yeah, I Good have. Times in uh, Dallas. I dated a girl for a while and got Radically to be, redesigned her rear end? Uh, no, I, I think she radically redesigned my head. Uh but I got to be pretty good friends with her brother, and her brother was a good guy. But yeah. um, much, much like, uh, much like me, uh, he had done lots of dumb crap in cars. And one of the things, the the reason hard body trucks always stick in my head, is he'd fallen out of one. He'd fallen out of the back of one. Oh, geez. Trying to move from the cab to the bed while the truck was in motion. Hmm. And yeah, that that messed him up pretty good. It was hard, hard on him. And that's why every time everybody brings up uh, in Nissan hard bodies, I'm always thinking, yeah, I know somebody who did something really dumb in one of those. <laughs> Jason, thank you so much for being on. And thank you for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. We certainly wouldn't be able to talk about jumping trucks into trees without the support of our (laughs) listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show. And on LinkedIn as Driven Radio Show Podcast. We've been getting an awful lot of good hits over on LinkedIn. Nice. Getting some pretty good numbers. Thank you all. If you have a story you would like to tell or someone you would like us to interview, please contact me at brett at drivenradioshow.com I am Brett Hatfield from Mark L. Groves yep. thank you for listening and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio Driven Radio